the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have part 49 in our series on the Gospel of John, the master, the servant. We're looking at the passage where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. There's a lot of really good stuff going on in this passage. So without further ado, let's go ahead and head over to the talk. North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. Stay up to date with everything North Shore Vineyard at www.northshorevineyard.org. Thanks for listening. Load of people. I did not grow up Catholic, um, but I have to say I'm a big fan of this new Pope, uh, Pope Francis. And uh, woohoo! <laughs> Pope fans. Um, it seems like every week this Pope is, is doing something that's making the news. But uh, like he, what I read about a month ago, somebody gave him a used Renault or some Buick or something like that, like an old car from the 80s. And he's opted to, like, that's his car he's driving around in now. And he doesn't want bodyguards, and he's not staying in the, in the papal, you know, the cool pad up in the Vatican. He's staying in just a regular apartment, and they're like, dude, you're screwing up all these years of, of, of tradition. But one of my favorite uh, stories was early on in his uh, papacy. Is that what you call it? Uh, it this was back during uh, Holy Week. On Thursday, Maundy Thursday, he uh, really... Uh, drew a lot of uh, controversy because, as is tradition on that day, popes will often wash the feet of other priests. And he did a foot washing ceremony, except he did it at a prison and washed the feet of 12 inmates. But what was crazy, and, and honestly, this is the first time that, he's ever, that the, a pope has ever done a mass outside of the Vatican, and he does it at a prison, and he washes the feet of 12 of the prisoners. But what really just stirred up a lot of stuff was that two of these prisoners was actually, were actually women, uh, teenagers, and one of them was a Muslim. I can't, I can't think of in this, this modern day and age how more on the fringes of things you can get than a prisoner who is a female and a Muslim and a teenager. Like, like that's about as powerless of a person as you're going to find on this planet. Uh, and there was a lot of people, <laughs> interestingly enough, I, I had no idea when I read this. I thought the controversial part was that this, this girl was a Muslim, but the controversial part was, it was she was a girl, like a woman. Like a pope has never uh, washed the foot of a, of, of a woman. And so that, like, that's what got a lot of people angry. I'm like, really? Um, but to me, that just looks like Jesus. I think that's, if Jesus was walking around a day, uh, he would be going to a prison and washing the feet of the people on the edges of society. Why do I think that? Because that just sounds like something Jesus would do. He always hangs out with the people on the edges, the people who don't have power, the people who are, uh, uh, you know, who, who religion doesn't embrace. And so this, this little, I, I wanted to start off with that story today because today we're actually going to look at the story from the Bible that actually inspired that. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John Chapter 13, verse 1 through 17. And if you're looking at your iPhone or your iPad, I will assume that you are not playing Angry Birds. 
You're reading the Bible along with me. I'm going to assume that. Because love believes all things. I'm going to assume that nobody's looking at pregame stuff on ESPN.com. Okay. John 13 starts off this. Uh, just a little background real quick. Uh, this is Passover week that we're looking at. We've covered 12 chapters of the, of the book of John in a little less than two years. Yay. <laughs> um, but the first 12 chapters of John cover the public ministry of John. Now the next, I think, five to seven chapters uh, uh, are going to cover nothing but a 24-hour period. So we go from this big public thing to now it's getting up close and personal. This is during the middle of Passover week, which was one of the great festivals that Israel celebrated. This is in Jerusalem. So here we go. It was just before Passover festival. Um, it actually means the, 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 the actual day of Passover. The, the festival is going on. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll get it. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I love Peter. <laughs> Peter just says the things that we think, but most of us are afraid to say. He just has no filter. Um, Jesus answered, those who had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you were clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he had not, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly I tell you, a servant, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Has anybody ever been to a foot washing ceremony before? I have. I've got to be honest, it's a little awkward, right? I'm not a big fan. I think it's actually more awkward to have my feet washed than to wash somebody's feet because... I'm not in the habit of letting other people touch my feet, except for Dina, and she even has a hard time. <laughs> now, Dina likes me to touch her feet. She wants me to massage her feet all the time. <laughs> and I do. I, sometimes I spend hours just... <laughs> Dang it. Uh, but... It, if, if you're worried, I just want to set you at ease. We're not going to do a foot washing up here today, okay? So uh, we, we promise we will never do a foot washing without ample uh, warning. So you can choose whether to uh, opt in or out of it. But, but honestly, when I've been to foot washing ceremonies before, it's a little awkward in our culture because we don't 
wash our feet. That's not a thing you do other than when you take a shower. But in first century Palestine, foot washing was something you would do every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Because let me just give you a little context here, uh, culturally what's going on. This is Passover in Jerusalem. So think New Orleans during Mardi Gras, except minus the hedonism. Um, There's a lot more people in the city than would normally be there. And as is custom in that day, you would walk around with sandals. Now, you're walking around in a city in the first century. The roads are dusty, but you've also got animals on them. You've got sewage emptying out into the streets. You've got rotten produce. It's, you, you get the point. So it's not like when we consider our own feet dirty, it's because maybe you went to the gym and, and you sweated a little much. But their feet were like truly nasty. Animal dung, human waste. You get the point. I'm not going to go much further, right? Do I need to? Okay. Maggots. Okay. Um, So having your feet washed, when you would walk into someone's house, they would, if they had servants, the servants would wash your feet. Uh, If they didn't have a servants, you were on your own. Because here's the deal. Foot washing was such a menial, gross, nasty task that even the Jewish people wouldn't wash other Jews' feet. So... If you were a Jew and you had money, you would have a Gentile servant who would wash people's feet. That was okay for the Gentiles to wash other Jews' feet. But it was so gross that that even a good, respecting Jew wouldn't wash another Jew's feet. It was just gross. And so here we are in this scene. It's in the middle of dinner, and which which probably says something about the the that even the disciples, they didn't wash their own feet. They just sat down and started eating dinner, uh, which... In that culture, you're not sitting at a, a table that's upright. The table's about a foot off the ground, so you're kind of leaning over. You're kind of close to people's feet, too. So, okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> so Jesus gets up in the middle of dinner, takes off his outer garment, wraps himself in a towel, fills up a basin, and he comes to Peter. He says, Peter, I want to wash your feet. And Peter is offended. <laughs> like what are you talking about Jesus you're 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 the rabbi you're the messiah the son that's not a job for you I mean it's not even a job for me what are you doing have you lost your mind Jesus and and Peter just like you can't do this and Jesus says look you don't you're not going to understand this at the moment one day this is going to click and you're gonna you're gonna realize the profound heaven moment that you're having here but this has to happen Peter If you want relationship with me, let me have your nasty, dirty, stinky feet. And so when he puts it that way, like, you're not going to be in relationship with me if you don't have this. Then Peter's just like, well, then wash all of me then. And and Jesus is like, it's okay, Peter. You had a bath today. We're just going to wash the feet. Now, so here we have the honored guest at the table, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the teacher, the rabbi, the prophet, the, the honored person at the table, leaving that place, setting aside his place of honor and taking the most menial place that existed in that culture. That was the lowest of the lowest place that you could be in that world at that time. This really reminds me a lot of, of Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Paul 
uh, actually quotes what many Bible scholars think was one of the earliest uh, song lyrics, a hymn from the early church. It says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Isn't that what we see going on in this passage? Even though he's equal with God, he's not using the God card. Peter, uh, can you wash everybody's feet? I'm God. He's not throwing his title around. I'm the Messiah. Do this for me. Though he was equal with God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be exploited over others. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, even this passage that we're looking at today, it's one of the, the, the foreshadowing moments of the cross because Jesus is laying aside his, his uh, place as a master, as a teacher, as a Messiah, as a God. He's, he's putting that all on the side to humble himself. Philippians goes on to say this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, it's interesting because all four Gospels share this account of this Last Supper before Jesus goes to the cross. And they all kind of pick up different things. Uh, this is actually where communion is instituted, the Eucharist. Uh, John doesn't mention that, but John mentions the foot washing thing, which other people don't mention. Now, if you go over into to Luke's account in Luke uh, 22, verse 24 through 27, Jesus has just introduced communion to them. He's broken the bread and, and shared the cup. He's t- he's, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Right after that, Just like you would expect disciples to do, this is what happens. Verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. I just love this. You know, Jesus, like this is his last day before he goes to the cross. And we already have seen in the last chapter that he's already starting to feel anxiety and and, and like he's he's feeling it in in his... uh, his heart, his soul. And, and even though he's feeling this, what are the disciples doing? Who's the greatest of them all? And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. I imagine these were the words that Jesus said right before he got up and wrapped that towel around him. Look, you guys are arguing about who's the greatest. I can just hear that conversation going, you know. I can hear Peter probably the loudest. I walked on water, guys. Who else walked on water? And John's like, well, I'm the, I'm the one that Jesus loves. Uh <laughs> And they're all fighting over this. And Jesus just very quietly gets up 
and he shows them what true power looks like. He says, in my kingdom, it's not like that. In my kingdom, whoever wants to be the greatest will be a servant of all. And as is as what happens a lot of times with Jesus is that his actions are every bit as profound as the words he says. Because even though he's just told them this stuff, what he does by washing their feet just speaks louder than any words ever could. Jesus is the greatest, and yet he puts aside his place at the table and serves them. What's interesting to me as I meditate on this passage is that it really points to the reality of the kingdom of God. This is one of those moments, oftentimes we, in the vineyard, we talk about the inbreaking of God's kingdom when people are healed or, or set free, that it's God's kingdom breaking in. But I believe this is one of those moments where the future is breaking into the now. In Galatians 3.28, Paul will write, In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. That, that, that Christ becomes the only identifier that matters in our lives. That all the things that separate us outside of these doors, your race, your ethnicity, your class, your culture, your gender, that, that those are made secondary to Christ. And we see that in this moment. Jesus is showing them, in my kingdom, these things, the, 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 the things that separate a slave from the master, that, that's all put aside. Now, there's no need for servants because you guys serve each other. I love how Jesus ends this. He says, okay, did you notice what I just did? He says, let me get clear here. I know y'all are arguing about who's the greatest. I am the greatest at the table. Okay, right? Everybody agree? And, and yet, I served you. I did something, I didn't consider the, the most menial job in this world as beneath me. You ought to do this for one another. You know, for a Christ follower, there should be nothing too menial for us. This, this isn't the good news, I know. <laughs> there should be nothing too menial for a Christ follower to do. Nothing. You know, I thank God that Every week at this church, we have people that do very hidden things around here. There are people who show up early and they make coffee. It's not a glamorous job, but I'm thankful for good coffee. Because you know what? That coffee is a part of hospitality. It's a part of welcoming people in here. And it's saying, we want you to be comfortable. We want you to be at ease. We want you to be awake. <laughs> You know, for the last three years, four years, we've had people in this church. You know, we, we, we don't have, uh, we don't hire janitors to come in here every week. You know, mothers, maybe you say this to your kids sometimes, you know, like, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have a maid that comes here, like, like the, the dish fairy or the clothes fairy. <laughs> you may think, like, it just magically, you know. But there's somebody that does that. In this church, there, there have been people who have volunteered for the last four years to come clean this church every week. Nobody sees them. And it's not a fun job. It's not glamorous. It's vacuuming, cleaning toilets. Nobody gets praise. 
Nobody gets a bonus, but they do it. There are people who come here week after week who love on your children, who show up early because they consider that your children are as much of the part of the church as you are. And they love these kids, even though for those of you who have kids, sometimes it's hard to love kids, and sometimes they get on your nerves, and then the little ones need their diapers changed, and they cry. And, but there are people who do that. Why? Because they don't see it as something beneath them, but they see it as part of following Jesus. Now, a lot of people want to do the upfront stuff. But I used to tell people when I traveled around with my band, like everybody thinks like the playing the music stuff on the stage is fun. I'm like, well, you don't realize it took us like six hours to drive to get here, two hours to set up. And then after we're done, we got an hour and a half of tearing down and then getting back in a van and driving somewhere else, eating pizza for the 10th time in two weeks. You see the glamorous part. But there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. In, in, in the body of Christ, the, the, the person who cleans the toilets is at the same status as Billy Graham. <laughs> there's, there's no difference. There's nothing too menial for us. We're all, we're, we're all in this together. And Jesus says we, we ought to, the, the same thing that he did, we ought to do it for one another. Now, that's kind of the surface reality. But I think that there's something even bigger that this picture points to. There are a lot of Christians who take in where, where Jesus says, um, the same way that I've washed your feet, you ought to wash another, one another's feet. A lot of Christians have just taken that as, oh, we need to wash each other's feet, which in our modern culture is just weird. It's awkward, right? <laughs> okay, we'll follow Jesus by washing each other. I know you never experienced this before, but we're going to do this. Um, it's weird. But I don't think that's really the underlying point. I think there's a much deeper reality that Jesus is getting at. Because the truth is, every one of us in here has something in our lives that we're ashamed of. That we like to keep hidden. That we like to keep covered up. We don't really want to let other people know. And so when you show up in church on a Sunday, how's it going? Oh, God is good all the time. Blessed, brother. Living the dream. Right? Right? Now, honestly, you know, you, you can't get too deep when you're just grabbing a cup of coffee and sitting down. But the reality is we, we, a lot of times we keep people at bay just living in this very surface thing. Like, I'm, I'm just doing fine. just doing great. Wonderful. But we all have things beneath the surface, like dirty feet <laughs> that are funky, and we're ashamed of them, and we don't want anybody to touch them because... We feel vulnerable. Uh, we, we, we feel ashamed. We just, just rather keep them hidden. We'd rather deny that they exist. But let me tell you something. To follow Jesus is going to require at some point that Jesus gets a hold of those things. What did Jesus tell Peter? He says, unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. Relationship stops. It doesn't mean that God stops loving you. It doesn't mean that you've lost your ticket to heaven. It just means your relationship with God will effectively stop. 
Jesus says, I want at that thing, Peter. I want at that thing that you don't want me to touch. Maybe you think God's too holy to get around it. I want that thing. And until you let me have that, we're not moving on. (laughs) We're not moving beyond this. I want to share with you this morning uh, a story. I've only shared it once in public before, and it was here a few months ago. But I'm going to share it again because it's my story. Um, This is a point in my life where God, uh, where Jesus wanted to get at those things in my life that I was hiding, that I was denying, that I was ashamed of. I, I found myself... I, I became a, a follower of Jesus when I was probably about 20 years old. And two or three years into following Jesus, I was done. It wasn't working. I was trying to follow Jesus the way I did everything else in my life by just going for it. I would read the Bible nonstop. I was reading devotionals. I was only listening to Christian music. I was only hanging out with Christians. I was serving in the church every time the doors were open. I was very involved in anything that you could do. And yet, a couple of years into it, I was just empty. It wasn't working. And finally, I got to the point where I said, God, if this is the abundant life, you can have it. I give up. I can't do this anymore. I think God was just kind of going like, yeah, I wondered when you were going to figure that out. Now we can do something. (laughs) So I got up on one Sunday morning and I went to church and I told God, and and I wasn't trying to be uh, uh, rebellious or anything. I'm just like, God, if if you don't meet me today, if if, if something doesn't happen, I'm going back to my old life because I can't do this anymore. And that Sunday morning, I, I came up for prayer at the end of the service, kind of like we, we have people to pray up here. And, and I was going to a very kind of charismatic church at that time, and, and I had a lot of very charismatic prayers prayed over me, um, and nothing happened. But then somebody came up. I don't know if it was a woman or a man. I don't know what they prayed. I just felt a hand gently touch on my back, and a very quiet prayer was prayed. And the next thing I know, I'm laying on the floor, and I am just, God was just just powerfully moving on my heart. Now, as I laid on the floor, God began to bring up something that I didn't even know was an issue. He walked me through something that happened probably six or seven years before. I was about 16 or 17 years old, and I was in high school. And my first, uh, my first love, you know, the girl I just fell head over heels over. Uh, we start. We'd been dating for several months, and we became sexually active. And she calls me up one day and says that that she's pregnant. Now, when you're that age, you kind of think you're indestructible and that kind of stuff. Even though you know how it works, it won't happen to me. And um, here, here, here we were, and things had gotten very serious, very quick. And all of a sudden, we're, we're faced with a decision that you shouldn't have to make at that age. What are we going to do? 
my girlfriend said, I'm having an abortion. I'm like, I, I, I wasn't following God at the time. Uh, I didn't have the best of morals. But I really believe, like, no, we can't do that. Let's, let's keep the baby. I know we're not ready for it, but let's figure out a way to make this work. She wouldn't hear it, and we argued back and forth for a couple of days. Finally, I, I ended up telling my parents, which that was, like, the hardest thing I had, had ever had to, to, to own up to. And... My parents were very gracious, and they said, look, you know, if we can talk her into keeping this baby to term, um, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure this baby gets adopted by someone. And so I called her up and told her that, and she just wouldn't hear it. And so I don't want to go to prom looking pregnant. And... Um, so our, our, our relationship was just coming apart at the seams at that point. Uh, it was really, really sad. And then a, a few days later, she called me back up. She said, look, I took another pregnancy test, and turns out uh, I'm not pregnant. The first one was wrong, and I just be- breathed a big sigh of relief. Felt like I dodged a bullet. Felt, felt bad that I admitted all that stuff to my parents, but whew, that is until about Four or five months later when a co-worker, we both worked at this restaurant, and one of the bartenders said, look, uh, I thought you needed to know this, but your girlfriend went and had an abortion behind your back. And I, I wasn't prepared for how painful that was going to be. And it really was the most painful thing that had happened in my life up to that point. Because, number one, this was a girl that I, I, I absolutely loved, um, but also just the betrayal of it. And then also just the issue that this was a baby. And, and you know, I, I thank God that the church, I won't say the whole church, but uh, attitudes have changed towards women who've had abortions. And, and if, you, if you're in here and you've had an abortion before, um, man, our hearts go out to you. And, 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 you know, if you ever need ministry for that, we know all kinds of people that specialize in that. And I thank God that attitudes are changing in that area. But I very rarely hear the effects of what that does to guys, you know. And, and, and I got to witness that firsthand. But what God began to show me as I'm laying on the floor that morning is that when all that went down, I made a decision in my heart that I was never going to trust another person again. Ever. I was never going to let anyone have access to that spot of my heart ever again. I was not going to be that vulnerable, and, and I was done. And from that point on, drug, drug use and drinking just got really accelerated in my life. I, I, I found myself going from one relationship to the next, and there was never a person who broke up with me from that point on again. Anytime things started getting bad, I would cut them off because I wasn't going down that road. And so there I am, laying on the floor, and, and God just begins to... T- and, and look, I'm telling you, I, never, I didn't know anything about counseling or inner healing or dealing with past wounds. Like, I, I, I didn't know about that kind of stuff. I didn't know stuff affects you from your past. It sounds kind of silly now. But I'm, I'm laying there on the floor, and God begins to tell me, um, you, you stop trusting people. That wall's been up in your life. 
and it's a wall that you, you don't even trust me. And today, I want that. I want at that thing. That thing that's been hidden and, and, and submerged. That thing that you're ashamed of. I want at that thing. And that morning, God just sovereignly touched that place. I, I, I wish he would have done that with some other things in my life. But when I got up off the floor, I was a different person. I really was. I, I, I feel like it was a fall day, and I remember going home and walking outside, and the trees, they, you know, it was gray outside, and the trees, leaves were brown, and, but it's, it felt to me like that scene on the, the uh, Wizard of Oz when things go from black and white to technicolor. I felt like a new person. It was unbelievable. And from that point on, I began to know something about the grace of God. I'd been trying, I think like Peter up to this point, I'd been trying to impress God and impress other people and always be first and be the best at prayer and the best at Bible memorization and the best at ministry. It just makes me cringe even saying these things. But from that point on, I realized there's nothing I can do to impress God. And there's nothing I can do to make him run away. He will never leave me or forsake me. But he wants at those things inside that I'm afraid to show him. That I'm afraid to show others. Now this is only about the second time in my life that I've shared this story publicly. But I've got to tell you this. There was, there was many years where I was ashamed of my story. Not just this one. I've got plenty of other ones too, by the way. <laughs> but the truth is, by letting Jesus at that place that I was ashamed of, that I kept hidden, that I was, I was afraid for other people to see, I was, af- I was afraid to even face myself, by letting Jesus into that place, he took the shame away. The truth is, since that day, every once in a while, there's another time where Jesus says, I want to wash your feet again. And I say like Peter every time, no, Lord, you you can't touch this. You're too holy. (laughs) You don't know. And he's like, no, I do know. I already already see how, I, I, I know how funky they are. I want at them. See, the truth is, in this room, this morning, every single one of us has a place like that. Maybe you struggle with an eating disorder. Maybe you struggle with postpartum depression. And you feel so ashamed that you have such anger towards your child. This child that you've given birth to. And you think, if, if anybody ever knew what I was feeling, they would think I was the, they would just, they would lock me up. And you're ashamed of it. Maybe you're addicted to pictures that you see on the screen of your computer. Maybe you're finding yourself going from one relationship to the next, always having to have someone in your life. God wants at these places. And I don't know what that thing is for you. As I said, there have been numerous things in my life, and he's not done yet. I will have other foot washings. 
But what is God bringing up to you today? What does Jesus say, I want at that today in your life? I want at that. Jesus closes this passage by saying this. He says, what I've done for you, you ought to do it for one another. There is something, once, once our feet are washed by Jesus, our attitudes towards other people are a little bit different. You know, I used to be, especially those first couple of years, I was just a jerk to everybody because I, I, I didn't have patience with anybody else because I hated myself. I was always driven and angry at other people for their sin and their shortcomings because I hated the things that I was trying to hide on the inside of myself. But once Jesus got at those things, the shame was removed and, 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 and then I could actually be gracious to other people because I saw that that's what Jesus was to me. Washing one another's feet means, in a very real sense, just a practical sense, it means, hey, serving one another, okay? Just doing good stuff for each other, okay? Basic sense. But in a deeper sense, it means that when somebody comes to you and they confess their, their, their sin, they confess their struggle, that we don't act like Pharisees and just throw rocks at them or go, dude, that's messed up. Your feet stink. <laughs> Dude, you got bunions and ingrown toenails. and Man. Oh, no, I mean, that wasn't me. That was a friend of mine. Uh, friend of a friend. No, it means that, that we wash one another's feet. That we be a cleansing, healing force for other people. What would it be like to, to be a part of a community that washed one another's feet, that served one another? What would that be like for you? Humility is the mark of a follower of Jesus. In the same way that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage, in the same way that he humbled himself, we ought to do the same thing. Church should be the last place where you see people tossing around their titles and their status and all this stuff because that's what they are in the world. It should be the last place for that. We don't, we don't consider anything that outside these doors that happen. There's nothing below us. There's nothing too menial. We take the low road because that's what Jesus has done for us. Why don't you stand?